Welcome again to this Good Friday service. I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, my life has gotten in the past so busy that I've blazed right through Easter weekend. And this is perhaps, and I think it is, the most important weekend in our lives and in eternity. This is the, the, the tension, the balance that exists between suffering and celebration. This is the dynamic that sometimes it's hard for us to look at. It's hard for us to even grasp. And so tonight, I hope that uh, God allows us to kind of dial in. I'm sensing because in the, the first set of worship that His Spirit is moving here in all of us, and He's going to speak to each one of you very uniquely in a very special, powerful way. As I was thinking about, you know, you're here on a Friday night. That's pretty incredible. Uh, long work week. And I wrote down some thoughts as far as, you know, why did you even come tonight? Um, perhaps, as I said, you're like me. You blazed through Easter weekend in, in the chaotic race of life. All right. And so I jotted these down this morning as I was praying about this. And then it says, or after an exhausting work week, your spouse or those younger, perhaps your mom or dad dragged you here. There might be somebody like that. Um, some of us may be tired and feel perhaps that our heart has become dull. Some may want the assurance that even in the midst of all the harm perhaps you've done, the corrupt thoughts you've had, or the heavy consequences of sin you've committed, that you could still be forgiven. Or for others, your first love has become cold and you need a fresh reminder of the depth of his love for you. And hopefully tonight, set your heart ablaze again. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if he just fires us up again? And perhaps finally, some of you are here or attending online, and you're eager to grow in your intimacy with Jesus. And you're here to deeply reflect in appreciation and gratefulness for the indescribable sacrifices that Jesus made for you. So my prayer tonight is for each and every person to be deeply touched and moved and actually surrender more of your life to the Holy Spirit tonight. Those are my thoughts this morning, and I, I trust God is going to do that. But would you pray with me again? All right. Lord, we look to you, and Holy Spirit, to you to, to move our hearts, to speak to each one of us, so that we would know that we're not forsaken. We would know that you, we are your joy. And Lord, that we would begin to discover afresh, why is Good Friday good? So we trust that you'll move. We trust that you'll stir our hearts tonight. Thanks for hearing us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. So as I thought about this uh, Good Friday message, I couldn't help go back and, and remember as clear as day when I was 18 years old. Now, that's a long time ago. Um, that's about 51 years ago. And I remember the opportunity to go out to a ranch in Colorado. And I was really at the point where I wanted to get away from home. And I was in this pride, self-oriented, jock kind of thing, you know, football and all the sports and stuff. And I was, I was just ready to go, ready to leave Indianapolis, ready to go. And I'd never been to the mountains before. So I go out. There's a whole bunch of kids, about 300 of us, uh, usually junior and senior high school students. And... Um, I see those mountains for the first time, and I'm absolutely awed at the, the magnificence of them. Matter of fact, I've gotten so grabbed by that that any time I get out to Colorado, I do. But in this particular week, um, 
we started having a blast. I mean, I was mountain climbing, river rapid riding, horseback riding, doing all the incredible things that young folks like to do. And I had this cabin leader. We were in these small uh, kind of wooden cabins. And this guy radiated. There was a spark in his eye. And, I, and he, was a, he was a, you know, husky guy. He was a gymnast from Minnesota. And and I'd heard that he broke his neck and God had healed him, and I didn't understand any of that. And, and, but he had this joy coming out of him. It was so apparent and so contagious that I said, I don't have what he has. Now, my religious background, I was really deep theologically. I knew that there was an Old Testament and a New Testament. <laughs> that was it. That was, that was my whole understanding. And so... I did not understand what this love was coming out of this guy. I still remember his name after all these years, Wayne Graves. And so I, I began to, to, to look at the people and look at other leaders, and I thought, they have that same kind of glow, and I don't have it. I'm in this kind of this dull, dark, self-oriented place, but I knew I wanted what they have, and I didn't know what it was. So I listened through the week, and I, we'd all get together, 300 of us, and there'd be great songs, and, you know, back in the... In the, it was 71, so it was a, they're a little different than what we sing now. But So I started to listen in, but then I started hearing the messages of Jesus' love for people and why God sent his son. And he hung out with the marginalized people. He hung out with those folks that, that weren't the religious leaders. They weren't popular. He hung out with the prostitute. He touched the lame and the blind, and he actually raised the dead. And I go, well, who is this guy? I did not understand it. And then I remember... The second to last night, they started talking about the crucifixion, the unfair trial, and, and how he was uh, unduly processed and had to go stand before the, 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 um, the leaders of the time, the religious leaders. And he goes back and forth through the night. And then I remember hearing this message that, that he was scourged in ways that we can't even imagine. His back was ripped off him. He was shredded in ways that we can't believe. And then when I heard that the Roman guards began to, to punch him, this is where it really got physically got my attention because, you know, I was, I'm not that way now, but I was a big guy back then, and, and I was into self-defense, and I was used to punching and getting punched. I've been knocked out. I've had 30-some concussions, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, re, I was relating and what they were saying when Jesus was being beaten by the Roman soldiers, it was in the durative tense, which means he was being hit again and again and again and again. And in, in Isaiah 52, it says, his image was marred more than any other man. We never have, couldn't recognize his face as being human. That got my attention. And then they talked about the, the slow agonizing death of crucifixion, and we know that story and how he was fastened to the beam and how he had to writhe in pain up and down and push on that nail so he could breathe. But then the speaker said something that just captivated me. He said that for the first time in Jesus' life, when the sky turned black at 12 o'clock noon, that God is Father and he'd been in communion with him throughout all of eternity, turned his back on him, broke the relationship, and Jesus didn't have communication with the Father. He did that because of my sin, and I realized it, and I didn't understand theologically what was going on, but I knew something in those words broke my heart. <laughs> I cry here, but 
How could he do that for me? How could he take that much punishment and that separation from me? Because somehow I realized that it was my sin that put him there. Yeah, it said that he died for the world, but it was my sin that put him there. Mine was enough to kill anybody. So I went outside on a rock and sat down on a rock and didn't say a word to anybody. But for the first time in my life, I got honest. And I said, Lord, my life's a mess. I'm broken. I'm full of sin. I'm full of pride. And I didn't have anybody instructing me, but I said something like this. Lord Jesus, would you please forgive me of my sin and somehow touch my life, come into my life, do something. And the minute that I prayed that prayer, I had a visceral response on the inside. It was like God walked right through the door of my heart and came inside of me. And I knew. He anchored me. I knew that he was living in me. I didn't understand it all, but I knew that something was different. I went back to Wayne, and I, I, I couldn't wait to get to him, and I said, I know what you're talking about. Being a Christian is living with Jesus inside of you. I couldn't wait to tell others. I couldn't wait to tell my family. So when I got home, I started telling my story. Mom and Dad had a little bit of a religious background, and they thought, Oh my, he's gone off the deep end. <laughs> they thought I was into some kind of weird stuff. And I said, I don't know. The only thing I know is Jesus is in my heart. That's all I knew. And I love him. And so I started living that out. And I started slowly changing, like honoring them, respecting them, loving them. And I remember back to when I was sitting on that rock in this beautiful starlit night in Colorado, I was praying for my family. And I said, oh God, bring my two brothers and my mom and dad to come to know you in the same way that I've just met you. And there was beautiful heat lightning in the distance, and it was flashing. It was like God was saying, yes, 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 I'm going to do that. And so from 1971 to 1972, God swept my whole family, and they all came into the kingdom. Isn't that great? It was so awesome. And then he put me on mission that I thought, you know, how many kids are there like me that they don't know this at all. I have so many friends. I grew up in an inner city high school, at Shortridge High School, and I realized they don't have a clue who he is. And so this message to go captivated my heart. I couldn't remain back at home. I couldn't just be alone with me and Jesus. I had to share that news to other people. And that took me on a lifetime of traveling around the world and having the privilege to share, having the privilege to spend four summers in Ukraine and, and be used by God to lead hundreds of students to Jesus who are now in the midst of devastation and death. And that is breaking my heart. But God is using those folks just as he's using you and me. But he wants us, I think, tonight to reflect what was this suffering? What was this like? And you know, when you go through the, Josh and I were talking this week, there's so much in the Gospels about Jesus' uh, trial and his crucifixion and his death, and how do you even begin to scratch the surface on that? So I thought, well, I'm just going to take a little bitty part. So I'm going to sit with me tonight. It's going to be more of a sharing than maybe a preaching, but uh, look at uh, Mark. We have a slide on that, 15, 
33 to 34. And I'm just going to point out a few things as we, as we go through this. And there's a slide on this that says, When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. That was from noon when it became dark, and I'm going to talk about that in just a few minutes, until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which translated means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this isn't on the slide, but it says, When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge of sour wine and put it uh, on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, Let's see if Elijah will come and take him down. And then this you see. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Where are we in the point in our lives where we really know, maybe some are new, maybe some are online, where we know, truly, this was the Son of God? And what was he experiencing? And I'll share that in a minute. But maybe tonight you've come in here and you're wrestling with some things. Perhaps you've been hurt. Perhaps you've been abandoned or you've been betrayed, or you have a broken relationship, or you've gone through the pain of divorce or death of a loved one. You've been overlooked, and maybe you're, you're here tonight, and you're full of shame. I don't know what's going on. I do know, however, that all of us are going through something. There is none of us exempt from the dynamic of the problems and the pain of this world. And God wants to show us a way through that. You know, sometimes we feel alone and rejected, um, and we're fearful, I think, if, you know, in our thought life, I don't know if you have self-talk like I, like I do, but what if you only knew the real me? What if you knew what was going on? What if you knew the dark things that I've done or I've thought? What if you knew this? You'd reject me. We fear that. Perhaps more than anything is that rejection because we've all experienced so much. Jesus' words were true, and they're all true, but uh, at the end of John, he says, uh, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. And as I, I think, you know, I read that a number of times in, through the years, and just, yeah, we have tribulation. The older I've gotten, the more tribulation I see. And I mentioned that some of the stuff, some of the evil, some of the pieces going on in the world and the pandemic and the famines and the wars and all of those things and the genocides that are happening, there is massive tribulation in this world. And not only out there, but in here. And you have it and I have it. And we need to deeply reflect on this price that's been paid so that we don't feel alone. I was talking to one of my buddies, Beth Pointy, he's riding his bike by last night, his name's Scooter, and we live downtown in the inner city, and we, got, we just had a great talk. I hadn't seen him for months, and it was just a, a special time because we've always had a close bond, and um, he's 34, and I said, Scooter, what's, what's going on with some of the, the guys that we knew? And he said, he showed me his arms like this, he said, I've got seven tattoos for those guys that are dead, two more just this year in Florida. And he said, you know, he said, I need to stay away from people. He said, I don't use a cell phone anymore. 
He said, because it's too tempting for me to go somewhere and do something. And what he was describing what he's, is he's very much alone. And he has to fly under the radar because it's too easy to get into trouble down where we live and probably where you live as well. So what's the good news about Good Friday? I'm going to get with Scooter in a week or so, and we're going to have some good Mexican food. I can't wait. And uh, just catch up. Just be there being present. But one of the, the, the good news about Good Friday is that you are not alone. Jesus says in the end of Matthew, he says, um, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, but lo, I am with you always. I am with you always. Don't miss that. I am with each one of you always, even to the end of the earth. What's what I love about Mercy Road is that we're committed to going and making disciples. One of the churches that, few churches really that I've seen in a while, that that is a core value and practice is that God calls us to go and make disciples. And when we understand this sacrifice and when we understand the depth of it, love will compel us to go. It won't be a duty or an ought that we have to do. It will be what God is motivating on the inside for us to do because we love him and we love people. We're not content just to be circling the wagons. We're called to go out and that's the privilege that I have at Mercy Road is my, my job is to get people going out. And I love it. It's so incredible. So when I look at the crucifixion, I, I discovered a passage that through the years that um, I found in Hebrews that really turned into my life verse. You want to hear it? All right. It's Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. It comes after chapter 11 of Hebrews, which really talks about the, the great people of faith throughout the whole Old Testament. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then it describes all of these uh, interactions of people throughout all of biblical history. It's called the Great Hall of Faith. And so... It comes, therefore, because these people are looking at us, and I think they are from heaven. I really do think that God gives glimpses of what's going on there with us here. And he says, let us lay aside also every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Do you lay this aside? Does sin easily entangle you like it does me? Do you carry weights? of regret and remorse, or sin that just crushes you and pushes you down. He says, let's let that go. Let's let it, even tonight, let it go. I'm trusting that as these words are being spoken, and I don't know who and when and how, but I think God's going to be tapping some people on the heart and go, that's you. So tune your ear to that, because the Holy Spirit is meeting with every person here, and he's going to do some stirring that only he can do, and I don't know what it is. Josh doesn't know what it is, but he does. And then he says, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. This is a long race. It's a marathon. It is not a sprint. But let's run with endurance that race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
When, I, when life gets crazy, like I described earlier, and the world seems to be going, you know, to hell in a handbasket, then, then for me, it's like, oh, Jesus, I have to focus on in and you. And I remember back in high school, I was in a, our high school choir, and uh, we had a bunch of us, but the conductor was really a great conductor. And I tell you what, you did not turn your eyes away from him when he was doing his thing, you know, and get louder, get softer, he did all this kind of stuff. Man, you did not want to get called out in front of a hundred other people, so you wanted to just pay attention. Then when you did, you found out when we did Handel's Messiah, all of a sudden, oh my gosh, the beauty that came out of it, and everybody was riveted in on that conductor. We knew the words, we knew the, the notes, but we were riveted in on him, and because of that, the sound was phenomenal. It was like this extra energy that you couldn't see came out, but everything else was a blur. I didn't pay attention to the right, person on the left, all I was doing was focusing on him. And that's what this idea is of fixing our eyes on Jesus. And then it says the author. Remember, he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And in John, it says that all things were created through him. And, and nothing was created that's created that was apart from him. He had eternal communion with the Father before there was time. There was perfect unity in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When God created, the word is Elohim, it's the plural of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He created the heavens and the earth. And then he said, let us create man in our own image. And then because he loved and he wanted to extend his love to mankind whom he created, he gave us a choice. Love him freely or go our own way. Sadly, we know the story. We've gone our own way. Not only did Adam and Eve, but we have too. And so he's the author of our faith. And then it says he's the protect, excuse me, perfecter of our faith. I thought, Lord, where did you perfect faith? Where, where did that happen? Was it through your life? Yeah. I think especially it was true when Jesus was hanging on the cross and it says he kept entrusting to himself to him who judges righteously. He's at a place where it's utter darkness, which we'll describe in just a few minutes. Total separation, and yet he's trusting God, and he's not feeling, he's feeling everything opposite of trust, and, and I'm sure any, any kind of knowledge that where is God? He's forsaken. But he had faith, and he perfected faith so that we wouldn't have to try to struggle it through and make it on our own. We could come to him, the author and perfecter of the faith. And then I love this part, you know this who for the joy set before him. My goodness, did you know you were that joy? Every single person individually here was that joy that he saw from time past. He had good works for us before the creation of the world. He knew. He knew you'd be sitting here tonight. He considers you his joy. So what's good about Good Friday? You're not forsaken, and you are his joy. You're his delight. And that's why he stayed there. That's why he didn't come down. He said, don't you think I could call down a legion of angels and basically wipe out the earth? Yeah. But because of his choice, because of his love, and he stayed there, and you are his joy, you're the reason that he made it through that cross. That's great news to me. He says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He hated it. 
And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then this next part, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you would not grow weary and lose heart. He says, consider him, which we're doing tonight. We're pausing in the middle of this great weekend, the greatest weekend. And without tonight, you couldn't have Sunday. Without this sacrifice being paid, we would have no hope. All of mankind would be condemned to hell and separation from God. So this is so critical that we consider him. That means to think deeply, to ponder, to reflect, to look at it from all kinds of different angles. And, oh, I wish we were doing a series on this and I had time to just peel it through, but I don't. Ben told me I was too technical the other day. Okay. So uh, consider him. We're going to do that just a little bit. So that you won't grow weary and lose heart. When we think of what he's gone through and we think of the mess that we've been in or what's been done to us or what all of the maladies of our life, yeah, that's real. Yes, it hurts. Yes, we've been broken. But still in the midst of that, consider him. All right? So the good news, you're his joy. There's a prophetic psalm I'm going to just spend a couple minutes in. It's Psalm 22. And David wrote this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote this a thousand years before Jesus was born. A thousand years. And it's a prophetic psalm. And I won't go into the apologetics of, a pro of prophetics, which I'd like to do. And um, the fact that Jesus had over 300 prophecies about himself in the last 24 hours of his life, he fulfilled 27 of those prophecies. The magnitude of that, nah, I won't go into it, it's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. But beyond that, I had to get it out, Josh. Uh, but beyond that, it's so phenomenal, it should not happen. But the good news is God knew every single detail that is mathematically impossible to happen which happened right in his life, and which happened in this psalm that was written a thousand years before Jesus goes to the cross and 700 years before crucifixion was ever invented by the Persians. 700 years, it had never been invented. And they had it 300 AD or BC, and then the Romans perfected it. So it's powerful. So Psalm 22, verse 1 to 3. Again, we hear this, what we started with. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he said that in, in Mark's gospel that we read at the very beginning. My God, my God. But did you know that is the only time in all of Jesus' life he refers to God Almighty as God? He refers to him the rest of his life and all of his life as Father, as Abba, as Papa, as Daddy, a relational dynamic that was the most intimate that we've never even begun to understand it. But here, when the sky is turning black and he's about ready to die, he's crying out, oh God, it'd be like the president or the ruler, a title. That intimacy has been broken and he's crying out something, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's bearing, and Ben asked me a great question. We keep talking a lot, Ben. Anyway, he asked me a great question. The other day. Well, if Jesus knew all this stuff was going to take place, then why, why would he cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I said, we can know something, but when we get to the place where we experience it, it's a whole different game. 
for the tragedy of life that some of you have had, you've gone through brokenness and wounds or divorce or death or whatever it happens to be, until you go through it, other people don't know. And until you've gone through it personally, they don't know your story because your suffering and your grief is 100% real and valid that other people don't have. So it's important that we understand that Jesus is experiencing this massive eternal separation from his father, and he's crying out to God. And then he says, far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. By night? What happened? In the garden, it was night. What happened right now at 12 noon when the sun should be blazing? There is a supernatural darkness that came over the land, just like the ninth plague in Egypt when darkness covered that portion of the land. It was a supernatural thick darkness. Why do you think the centurion got, uh, the, God got his attention because of what was going on? Not only did this, this thick, dark blanket of night come over him, but then at the end we, we hear about the earthquake. An executioner, a killer of people with his squad, God gets his attention. But in Gethsemane, and Vita mentioned that earlier, here's where the suffering for me started in my understanding. And this is hard, but we know he goes and prays three times in the garden. And he says, oh God, Father, Abba, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But guess what? There's silence. There is no reply back. He's crying, Abba, Abba. And it says in Scripture that he is shocked and terrified and full of sorrow. He said, my, my soul is full of sorrow even unto death. And then what happens? He's in such... Have you been like this? I've never been to this. I've been in lots of pain, but not like this. So great was the stress, so incredibly much pressure that he starts sweating drops of blood. It's called hematrodosis. It's where the capillaries burst because the stress is so high. And he's not hearing this separation has started from his father. And he is agonizing. And as she said earlier, God had to send an angel to strengthen him. Because when people go through that medical condition, it's really easy for them to die. So God had to strengthen his own son, even though he wasn't talking back to him. That's where I think this suffering, where the night comes in. He says, and by night, but I have no rest, yet you are holy, O you who are throned on the praises of Israel. Why did God turn his back? Why on the cross from 12 until till 3 did he turn his back? Because God, in his justice and in his perfect love, has to deal with sin, has to judge sin in order so that that love can be exact and pure and true and he can't let it go. And so there was no other sacrifice that was going to work but only himself, only his son. And so he turns his back, and Jesus bears all of that himself. Jesus takes on the sin of the world. He takes on your sin and my sin. He totally absorbs that into his body. Matter of fact, it says in Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He never tasted sin. 
So he has the separation from God, and then he has the weight of sin that comes upon him fully. And he's doing that for every person here in this room. And all of those that are watching online, he has done this for you. He became sin for you, and he took your judgment. He took the sin so we wouldn't have to. So what's good about Good Friday? I have a slide on the first part of this. It says, Jesus tasted the hell of separation and abandonment so you wouldn't have to. He took on your hell and my hell of separation. That's what hell is, total abandonment of God, not being at all present with him. The second part, another slide, Jesus took the hell of the contamination of sin, God's complete wrath, so you wouldn't have to. He became that sin. Now think about it. It's really easy for us to go, for God so loved the world, and call it all of us, and we kind of put it off, and we can rationalize our own sin, and we can go, well, yeah, you know, it's kind of for everybody, and I'm really not that bad as somebody else, and you know. And when we do that, we miss the point of what the sacrifice is about. If we rationalize our sin, if we put it off, if we go, it's really not that bad, it really is that bad. Sin is this darkness of our being that is in rebellion against God, and God has to deal with it. And so he does. So go to the, the second part in Psalm 22. I'm going to breeze through this quickly. Oh, boy, we're running out of time. Okay, um, we'll do it fast. He says, many bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. That's a worship of, of the demonic in those days. They open wide their mouth at me as a uh, ravening and roaring lion. The demons of hell are all around him at the cross. I don't know if you knew that or not. Satan himself is there, mocking. Been in India before, and I've been out for a number of weeks in the streets, and spiritual oppression is like a blanket. And I felt just a little bit of it over there. He's feeling the whole force of the demons of hell itself. He says, I'm poured out like water, dehydrated. All my bones are out of joint. When they drop them on the cross, then the shoulders and the elbows dislocate, and he sags down and suffocates. He says, my heart is like wax that is melted within me. The, the, what was happening because of this dehydration and the fluids that are released in your body is that your pericardium is actually filled with serum. And guess what? Jesus' heart starts to, rec- uh, starts to constrict in these last hours, these last minutes, and he, it's, it's getting more and more pressure, and oftentimes, medically, the heart will rupture. And so when the Roman soldiers jab the spear up through his lungs and into his heart, out comes blood and water, the indication that he died of a broken heart. Did you ever think about that? He died of a broken heart for you and me. And then it says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue, I think, literally cleaves to his jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. And then it says, interesting, in Psalm 22, they pierced my hands and my feet. This slide up there that just briefly puts the nails through his wrists and through his feet. And that's a whole long description. Then he says, I can count all my bones. Because of that scourging, it ripped off so much flesh, even on his back and his ribs. He could see the bones in his ribs. It was that horrific. And this is happening a thousand years before Jesus went through this. 
And it says, they look, they stare at me, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you know what? He had to look past all these things to endure the cross to see you and me. We were that joy. He despised the shame. Then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what about you and me tonight? What do we need to look past? Are there things in our lives that have so captivated us that we're all gummed up and gooed up on the inside? Are there things tonight that God wants to release you from? Is there past pain and trauma? Is there current heartache and maladies? Are there relational breaches? What does God want to touch in you tonight? Because I think He will, if you'll let Him. So what's good about Good Friday? If anybody has taken notes, this again, we're, we're really short on time, but I'd love you to write this down because to me it's profound. Uh, when you look at the cross, real simple sentence, that's what he did for me, and that's what I did to him, my sin. But also, when I look at the cross, that's what sin did to me. It ravages me. It disjoints me. It, it depresses me. It breaks me. And that's what he did to sin. He pulverized the power of sin. He pulverized it so we don't have to be controlled any longer under it. So when you look at the cross tonight, think about the sacrifice. Think about the payment for sin. Think about the fact that we don't have to live under its power and control. Think about the fact that you're his joy and you're not forsaken, you're not alone. So when we move into the, the song that we're going to do shortly here with the chorus, I want you to, to take time to listen to the Holy Spirit and ask Him, Lord, what do you want to touch in me? And if there's people who, that are new here like I was when I was 18, and you never have come to that place to surrender your life to Jesus and invite Him to come into your life, we want to do that tonight. For those of you that have the broken relationships have the, maybe the self-talk, the lies that just put yourself down. Anybody like that? I do that. I get this crazy stuff going on. What are the areas where God wants to draw you to himself tonight and bring both healing and forgiveness because you can come to the altar knowing that you're his joy, knowing that there's nothing so bad that you've done that he can't forgive it, right? And so tonight, would you be sensitive? Would you be tender? And as we sing this song together with the team that comes up as they begin to work their way up, come to the altar that you would do that. But let's, let's stand up and pray. This may sound wild, but I, I, think, I think for a number of us tonight, God's been calling from eternity past to eternity present. Let's do business tonight. Let's think about his great sacrifice. Let's think that you are not alone. Let's think that you are his joy. And you can come with that confidence going, Lord, yeah, do in me whatever you want to do. So we're going to give you a chance tonight when we sing this song, Oh, Come to the Altar. You know, Jesus stayed on the altar of the cross for you and me. He didn't come down. My question tonight is, will you come to his altar voluntarily and say, Lord, 
deal with me in these ways and bring that special touch, bring that freedom to me. So I'm going to pray, and then as I pray and afterwards, I would invite you to come to the front. For those that haven't received the Lord, I'm going to ask you when we pray to slip up your hand. For others, I'm not going to ask you what your specifics are, but trust God is going to move. All right? So Father, tonight we thank you that we can take time to consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that we don't grow weary and we don't lose heart. For those of us that have lost heart, that are broken, that are confused, Lord, or for those that maybe, like I said earlier, your love's gotten a little bit cold and you want, you want that fresh touch to set it ablaze. And if there's someone in here tonight or people in here tonight that have not initially invited Jesus into your heart, uh, would you slip up your hand right now? And I'm just going to pray with you. Nobody's looking around. But if there's anyone in here or online, just acknowledge that. So Lord, tonight, sweep over us, move, bring that freedom and that joy as we come to the altar, as we think of your sacrifice, as we think now of the life and looking forward to the resurrection and those beautiful messages yet to encourage us. We give you ourselves. We worship you freely. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.